Hello, I'm Luca De Giglio, and this is the Web3 in Travel podcast, where you can learn about crypto, blockchain, and how the new internet will change travel. Let's start with um, uh, a quick recap of what we discussed last time uh, in the first episode. So we uh, discussed digital ownership, the fact that in Web3 we will own uh, stuff, something which is not possible in Web2. We talked about digital feudalism, the fact that big corporations are owning everything. We just work basically on, on their land without any rights. Also, we discussed about deplatforming. The fact that we don't have rights makes it easy for them to kick us out. We discussed about DeFi, probably the first important application of cryptocurrencies in the real world. NFTs, which are property titles for digital assets, which will help us get out of this um, feudalistic relationship with big platforms. I kind of discussed a little bit the Web 1, 2, and 3 eras of the internet. We are getting now into the, the third one, the Web 3. We discussed the importance, importance of the open protocols, like the internet itself is an open protocol and crypto is an open protocol and so on. The uh, shareholder versus stakeholders economy in which because we are in a platform, then we should have a voice, basically. Like if you are a, an Airbnb host, for instance, you should have more uh, say in what's happening in Airbnb itself. The fact that the internet is learning, has actually learned to manage value, not only information. So crypto as um, an internet upgrade I also said that I think it's a bit too early for accepting crypto payments. You can actually start, but it's not going to take off for a while. So this is not the most interesting thing to do today in, in Web3. I played a bit with the tsunami analogy, the fact that something big is coming and you can kind of decide where to position yourself uh, on the beach and be crushed or in the sea and ride the wave. This, this uh, analogy works very well with every technology which is changing things in in a massive way like web3 is going to do um the fact that in web3 you can own your own account listings reviews etc and i finished the the first episode with the financial opportunities which can be synthesized in the fact that in web3 you can actually make money while it's much much harder in web2 unless you are on the um, on the part of the big platform. So unless you work for a big platform, it's not that easy to make money, while in Web3, it's much, much easier. So that was episode one. If you have missed it, maybe check it out. It's really important that you understand the basics before you go ahead with the rest. So let's get started with uh, episode two. As I was saying, this podcast is really assuming that you don't know anything. So we really have to start from the beginning. And today I am going to talk about decentralization, which is the reason we are even you know, talking about crypto and Web3. A very interesting thing is that even people in crypto, I would say 80% of people who are in crypto have no idea what decentralization really is 
or the value it has. And you can see this by the choices which, which are made constantly when the centralization has a cost, right? Which is mostly cutting corners. Today, we will talk about decentralization, and this will give you a lot of alpha. And by alpha in crypto, we mean information on which you can act upon and get some, some gains, monetary gains or just positioning gains, uh, gains, etc. So very important information. And again, by alpha, you mean you get it before the others, which is weird. I mean, technology decentralization should be not alpha, it should be the basic. But again, few people really understand it deeply. So to explain decentralization, I will start with Bitcoin because Bitcoin is an application which in order to exist had to invent or adapt or put together a whole set of technologies, including the blockchain. So one first important thing to know is that Bitcoin or crypto is not blockchain. Blockchain, the blockchain is just a part of it. You can have a blockchain and still do not have decentralization. That's a bit the, the idea. So let's start with what decentralization is. Decentralization maybe is best explained by looking at another technology we use a lot, which is decentralized. And this is the internet. Imagine that the internet was a system which allows you to send information very quickly and very cheaply, but it has one central point of failure, like a button which the American or the Chinese government could push to turn it off. Maybe in that way, we would have even a better internet, maybe a faster internet, maybe a more controlled internet with, with less like uh, illegal or, or dirty or dangerous stuff on it. But would it be successful? And the thesis is that no, it wouldn't be successful because we all have decided to build stuff on the internet based on the premise that nobody could turn it off. Based on the premise that nobody could say, all right, guys, you build now your applications and your companies and your projects and whatever. And now we're going to raise the price of sending information. Uh, the fact that it's decentralized, so there's not one person or one government in control of the internet, is exactly what makes it powerful. Right? So decentralization means it's just there. It's, it's a thing of on its own. It's a public good. I don't need to worry and I don't need to trust that any big organization as a government or a company could simply maybe kick me out of the internet. Decentralization is what makes me think that tomorrow I'm still going to have access to, to the internet because nobody can shut down my own account. It is just there. It's like... Uh, um, it, it's even more decentralized than an access to the, to the electricity or, or the water supply, right? It, it's just there. We, we assume that the internet is there. And this assumption allows us to bet on it. So decentralization is not worrying that somebody can kick me out. That's one of the things it does. Decentralization is also another thing. I do not need to ask for permission. So. There's this word going around in Web3 is permissionless. The internet is there. 
I want to create a website, I create a website. I don't have to apply to anybody before creating a website. Also, it is trustless. When I send some information on the internet, I don't have a I don't have to trust a third party to actually relay this message. It goes through a protocol, it goes through a whole system which nobody controls. I can be fairly sure that my message is going through. And this the other aspect is uh, is trustless. Uh, now let's see something which is not decentralized. Let's start talking about uh, the financial system, which is, I know, boring, but Bitcoin is a financial thing. And, and it kind of tried and tries to solve a financial problem, which is money. So let's see, first of all, the banking system. Is it open? Uh, can I be sure that if I have access to my account today, I will have access to the account tomorrow? No, because, you know, banks could, could shut down my account, especially if I live in a country with, with more like with, with strong controls or if I do something which is deemed illegal or even immoral. And many people do not have access to bank accounts. So it makes this um, a controlled system, right? Not open system. Is it trustless? No, I have to trust the banks. I have to trust that they actually won't close my account. Uh, they will actually send that transaction, even if you know it, it can be considered as not uh, acceptable. So it is permissioned. Everything we do with money today, except of cash, and we're going to go back to the cash probably later on in the podcast, everything is permissioned and trusted and controlled and closed, right? So we can use the financial system, as long as they are happy with it. Now, in the West, this is not generally a problem. In the West, we have another problem coming up, which is the fact that a lot of money is being printed, effectively giving less value to what we already have in our pocket. So, Bitcoin. Bitcoin was born after the big financial crisis of 2008, where many people lost faith in the financial system. The financial system was over leveraged. It was really hard to understand what was going on because it wasn't transparent. And, uh, and when all that mess happened, kind of nobody paid for it. Actually, people who, the, the very people who created the problem got rewarded. So many people said, okay, this system is just rotten to the core. We need a clean form of money. So I'm not going to go too deep into Bitcoin because this is a monetary subject. It's like to understand Bitcoin, we first have to understand what money is. And surprisingly, we don't really know uh, what money is. Uh, if you really go deep into it and you ask people what money is, we didn't, never really told about it very deeply. Until money breaks, as it breaks sometimes in, in countries where inflation, for instance, goes, uh, goes wild, we think of money of just something we want more of it because it, give, it gives us more power. But we don't really understand how it works, right? This is not the subject of Web3 in travel. But let's say that Bitcoin wanted to create, wanted to be money, which nobody controls, a bit like the internet. 
that's why I think the Internet of Money is a very good name for Bitcoin. It's money which is there. Nobody controls it. There's not one, pe- one person or organization which controls it. It's just there. You know how it works. It's regulated by MET. You know there's going to be never more than 21 million. So it's protected against uh, hyperinflation. It's just there. It's something that we can count on. There's no politician who can say, okay, we're going to make more Bitcoins because we have to pay for some war or, or some program, etc. It's just something which represents the value in the world. So I'll stop it here. This, gets, this can go too deep into something most of us don't, don't know and myself either too. I'm not an expert in, in, in finance or, or money matters. But basically, uh, somebody said, let's do money which is neutral and distributed and decentralized. And they built Bitcoin. So how does Bitcoin work? Now, understanding how Bitcoin works means understanding how Ethereum works, how basically every real cryptocurrency works, how, for instance, central bank digital money doesn't work because it's nothing like a cryptocurrency, how Web3 works, how your own listing, your own account with your private keys works. So basically understanding how Bitcoin works means understanding how the web will work in the next years. We start with Bitcoin because Bitcoin started it all and it's a kind of simple use case, right? I'll try not to go too deep into the technicalities, but we need to understand at least what private keys and public addresses are. Let's take this from our personal perspective. So let's say I have one Bitcoin. What does it mean that I have one Bitcoin? Yeah, of course, it means I have something which is valuable, which is valued by the market about $50,000, $60,000, whatever. But that's not the point. Okay, the point is that I have control over one Bitcoin And this control, I have it because I own something really, really important. I know something really important. It's the private keys, which allows me to move the Bitcoin. So there is no one else in the world who has this set of private keys. And only this set of private keys can move the Bitcoin, which means I own the Bitcoin. So what are private keys? A private key is basically just a password. It's a long password uh, because it it needs to be very secure. So it's not my birthday. And it's also not a password I invented. It's been given to me by a software. It is impossible to guess. Nothing is impossible, you know, in the universe, in a billion years, maybe somebody can guess it. But for any... Practical purpose, it is impossible to guess. So I'm the only person who has it and I control my Bitcoin. The Bitcoin is not in a bank. It's not in an institution. It's not kept safe by some website or company. I am the only one who has the keys for this Bitcoin. Um, Where is the Bitcoin? Well, the Bitcoin is on the blockchain. Everybody can see it. 
right? It is there. It is not with me. But I'm the only one who has the keys to move it. When I move the Bitcoin by using my private keys, then everybody sees that the Bitcoin has moved. I make a transaction. I send this Bitcoin to somebody else. And this transaction is recorded on one node, which is one computer running the Bitcoin software. And then it's propagated to all the other computers running the Bitcoin software. After uh, a certain time, every single node has recorded this transaction. And there is consensus. By consensus, we mean the protocol agrees on the fact that now the Bitcoin is owned by somebody else. It's not owned by me anymore. My private keys have moved the Bitcoin and now my private keys cannot move the Bitcoin anymore. Now that Bitcoin can be moved by somebody else's private keys. So I effectively lost ownership of the Bitcoin. Of course, I probably got something in return. So if I send it to somebody, maybe I buy, I bought something or maybe I got some other uh, tokens. I don't know. But basically, all the blockchain knows in that situation is that the new owner of the Bitcoin is somebody else with a different set of private keys. You don't actually deal with the private key directly. You use a wallet. So let's talk about the wallet first. What is a wallet? A digital wallet for crypto is an app on your phone or a program on your computer. That's it, right? So let's, let's say the app in your phone. It's an app you can download as any other app from Play Store or App Store, and uh, you install it, and then it tells you, okay, let's start and open an account for you. You don't put a login, you don't put a password. The app gives you the private key and says, keep this safe. The, the wallet says, I'm going to keep this private key inside, so I have it, uh, but also make a backup, please, right? And it will give you a very long string. That's the first time you would actually see the private key. And you should like write it down and save it somewhere, back it up. Not on, on, on a digital form, usually on a piece of paper. Now, this private key is really, really long. So it's really easy to make a mistake. You can't even print it because if you print it, it can leak. Somebody can steal it. So what they did was to create a standard to make it easier for us humans to deal with private keys. And this is a standard which transformed the private keys in 12 words, or sometimes 24 words, English words. Words you do not choose, they, gave, they give them to you. So now you have the private keys both in your app and backed up. So if you lose your phone... Uh, you still have access to it because you have the, the 12 words. So the wallet gave you the private key. It's called seed phrase. So it's a phrase, 12 words, which allow, allow you to control the Bitcoin in your wallet. It gives you something else. It gives you one public address. The easiest way to understand what a public address is, is a bank account number. Uh, for those in Europe, the IBAN number or IBAN number, I-B-A-N, right? So this is what you give to people when you want them to send you money. It's public. 
you have no problem in sharing it. Actually, you can publish it in your in your bank in your website, for instance. So the public address is just like a bank account. Quick uh, exception for Americans. I think there are some account numbers in America, um, which if you give them, people can actually get money from it. It's a bit weird. I don't understand it, but I know in, in, in the United States, giving out your account number is not that safe. But in all the rest of the world, as far as I, as I know, uh, this is public information you can quietly share with people. The wallet gives you a public address. This public address is where people can send you money, exactly like a bank account, with a big difference. This public address is a bank account. Everybody can look into it. If I send my Bitcoin to somebody else, people can see how much Bitcoin I have in my account, if there's any left, and they can see how much Bitcoin the other person has. Maybe they just got one Bitcoin from me and now they have 10 because they had nine before. So it's transparent and the blockchain is transparent. That's what makes it trustless because we see everything. We know where every single Bitcoin since its existence, since its inception, has been and where it is. That's kind of the condition on which we build the trustlessness of the network. Uh, of course, this has huge privacy concerns and there are ways to um, that we are trying to address in general for solving this problem. But we, we not, won't go too deep into this. Now, just learn this today. Whatever we do online on blockchains is public. So don't think blockchains are great for hiding your money or, or don't pay taxes, right? Everything is out there. It is not directly connected to your name, but it's easily connected to your name when you start interacting with other people and especially exchanges which asks you, ask you for um, documents. So don't, don't consider blockchains anonymous. They're pseudonymous. The public address looks like a string. It doesn't look like, like your name, but it's very easy for, for companies, especially surveillance companies, to connect the dots and know exactly how much you have and what you've done since the beginning. Privacy nightmare in a way, but we won't go, we won't look at this right now. So you got from the wallet a private key, which nobody knows and allows you to move your Bitcoin and one public address which allows you to tell people where to send the money. Actually, the public address is not one. One wallet is able to produce billions of public addresses, which you only have, all right? So it's like having a bank which allows you to create many bank accounts and without any, any limitation. So the Bitcoin is on the blockchain. The wallet has the private key and produces the public keys. That's the simplest way I can explain that. And the beauty of it is that this system works without any intermediaries in the middle. It just works. This is you dealing with the internet. The internet is allowing you now to move money around. There's no banks or credit cards involved, okay? This wasn't possible before, this is possible now. And this changes a lot of a lot of things. So you see how this gets very quickly complicated and uh, the theoretical and difficult to grasp. 
and have bad news here. You won't understand this stuff just by listening to a podcast. You need to do them. You wouldn't have been able to understand the internet simply by listening to somebody explain it. It's just too different from our uh, day-to-day experience. Or I remember trying to explain Facebook to friends uh, before they got in. It was very hard. So, But when they got in, they said, okay, oh, well, that makes sense. It's I write stuff and friends read and whatever. But it was really hard to explain the theory. What is Facebook? And and very easy to understand once they, they started using it. The same thing is going to be with crypto. You can't have a theoretical understanding of it if you don't have a practical, a practical uh, understanding of it. So I won't do tutorials. There's many tutorials out there. But I urge you to start as soon as possible to download a wallet. doesn't need to be a Bitcoin wallet. It can be others, and I'll tell you a bit about them, and start playing with it. Uh, this doesn't mean you have to invest or, or spend money. You can just play even with uh, test nets or, or very cheap cryptocurrencies where transactions are very cheap. So you, you'll choose your, your setup. But no, you won't understand this just by listening to me. That's, that's really important to, to know. So now you have a wallet. Now you are a self-sovereign citizen of the internet because now you have control of your funds. So, so far, we only have one application. This is Bitcoin. You own Bitcoin. You have full ownership of money for probably the first time in your life. The closest thing to, to this kind of sovereignty has been cash, right? Because when you have cash, banks cannot stop it. You can give it to anyone. It doesn't matter the reason you, you give it to people. You just can use it, right? It's a bit less. Um, you have less control of the cash because they can print a lot of it and devalue it, or they can just make it not, not legal tender anymore. It happens. I remember once I was in, uh, in in Myanmar. If I correctly, if I remember correctly, I was I was confused this with Laos, but I think it was Myanmar. And I went to exchange some money, just a few hundred euros, and they took me to a room, basically a room where people had money uh, stuck to the on the floor to the ceiling, a lot of money. And I exchanged maybe 100 or 200 euro and they gave me a big pack of money. And I said, why so much money, right? And they said, because at a certain point, um, uh, some people started getting too rich in Myanmar. And uh, because there were people with too much money, what the government did was simply say, okay, from today, all the notes over a certain amount, so like 1,000 or 10,000, are worthless, so the rich people got poor overnight. So cash can still be controlled because it's issued by the, the basically the government and central banks. Uh, you do not have 100% control on it. Uh, still, they are they give you more control than your bank account, which actually could be frozen very easily. That's a bit the point. You, with the Bitcoin in your hands, now you don't need to trust any institutions anymore. Uh, let's talk about this because there's another thing which... It, it goes a bit too far. People say, uh, okay, Bitcoin is completely trustless. Uh, no, there are still people running the Bitcoin network. Some people say Bitcoin will never have more than 21 millions of them because the protocol says so, because code is low. No, 
if there is consensus, they could decide to make 100 million Bitcoins. This is a fact. Now, the question is not if this is possible or not. Technically, it is possible. The question is, will there be consensus for that? And that's where you can say, no, well, I don't see any reason why at a certain point people who hold Bitcoin uh, will decide to make more of them. It's decentralized, but nothing is decentralized when humans are involved with it. What is really decentralized is, for instance, nature. Take a seed, a seed in the ground. The seed in the ground, let's say it's a seed of uh, wheat. It contains uh, an incredible amount of information. It knows exactly at what temperature and at what level of humidity and for how long this temperature has to be over a certain, uh, certain level, when to open. The seed has information. It knows when to open and when to kind of transform into a, a sprout, I think you call it, and then into a plant. And then everything is kind of managed by uh, the relationship between the sun and the weather, etc., etc. So there's no central point of failure in nature. It is completely decentralized. If you think about why biodiversity is so important, why do we have weird animals? Why do we have thousands, tens of thousands, kinds of million kinds of cockroaches, for instance, or bugs or whatever, beetles, okay? And this is because it decentralized life. Now, imagine that on the world, we only had humans and the few animals which are useful to us, only the plants which are useful to us, and that's it. And then some kind of climate change happens, um, like the temperature goes too high or too low and whatever, life would be threatened because all these animals would die and we as humans would die. Now, the fact that we have a wide range of life on Earth guarantees the fact that life is much more resilient. So diversity means, means resilience. And this is the highest level of decentralization we can, we can conceive. But human-made stuff like Bitcoin is not 100% decentralized. It still has some level of uh, centralization. So this allows me to introduce another concept. Decentralization is not a Boolean. It's not zero or one. It is levels of decentralization. The question in crypto should never be, is this decentralized or not? It's, is it decentralized enough for what I need? Bitcoin today is probably the most decentralized crypto out there. Because the use case is money. Money needs to be really decentralized to be useful. Now, is Ethereum less or more decentralized? Well, this can be argued, but let's say that it is more centralized. Ethereum should be also very decentralized. Okay, so if it actually is more centralized, this is a problem. Is um, an exchange like Coinbase centralized or decentralized? Coinbase is extremely centralized. Is this a problem? Probably not. You use Coinbase to put your fiat money in. Fiat money, we mean euro and dollars and other currencies. And to take out tokens like Bitcoin, Ethereum or other tokens. It depends what you need it for, 
right? Then there are other blockchains like uh, BSC, BSC, like Binance Smart Chain. And this is one of the blockchains people use first because it's much faster and cheaper than Ethereum. But it is much more centralized. Like, would you put $100 on BSC to, you know, speculate, to play with it? Yeah, why not? It's not going to die tomorrow. BSC is centralized, yes. There's only 21 or 27 nodes compared to the thousands Ethereum has. But they won't disappear tomorrow. Would you put the ownership of your house on BSC? And you want your house to be there in 100 years. No, I would never do that. Who knows if BSC is going to be around? Who knows if BSC is going to censor some transaction at a certain point? There's just too few people keeping that network secure. It's good for some use cases. It's not good for other use cases. When the use case is really important with a lot of money and a long time frame, you go on Ethereum, which is expensive. If I own something on Ethereum, let's say my, my account where I have all my listings and I have all my reviews and I want them to be there in 10 years or 20 years time, I'm going to use Ethereum because it, it, it gives more value. An easier way to understand this is with NFTs. Let's say I bought an NFT. Let's say I bought an NFT, which is an image and it's worth a million dollars and it costs me $50 or $100 to create it over there, right? To mint it. Is the $50 worth for keeping a million dollars safe? Yes. Now, let's say I want to play a game on the blockchain and every single transaction costs me money. Would I pay $50 every time I have to move my character from one place to the other for a game? No. Well, then I'm going to use another blockchain. Uh, maybe I'm going to use phantom or bsc or anything else why because you know, i'm just playing who cares it has to be fast and it has to be cheap so when it starts being uh, like the value I, I move is higher then i'm gonna pay more for it see it like this if you are writing an nft uh, a picture on a cheap chain you're writing on paper Maybe you need this paper to be there for the next month or so. But if you're writing and you're painting the Mona Lisa on it, you want the highest quality paper you can get, the, the, the highest quality material you can get. So a high-quality, long-lasting canvas. So you're going to use Ethereum because Ethereum is going to be there probably for a longer time and it, has, it carries much less risk because it's, it's decentralized. Uh, that's how you, you have to start thinking about it. And why do I say decentralization is alpha? Because people don't understand this. People say, okay, Ethereum is expensive and it is slow. Uh, so I'm going to use another blockchain, which is fast and it is cheap. And they don't understand this trade-off. Something is fast and cheap, but it's not secure. And it can feel secure if after a month your money is still there. And after a month, nothing as bad has happened. But if you look farther in the future and at a certain point, maybe your transaction or your, your, your asset go, goes away because they decide it has to go away or because the network is attacked, then you understand why you should have paid more for it. So 
the takeaway should be if you are playing with it, if you're learning, if you're experimenting, go with the cheapest and fastest chain. If you have serious stuff on it, which is expensive and you want it to be there in five or 10 years, go with Ethereum. Now, another important thing to understand is that if your first steps in crypto are going into an exchange like Coinbase and um, Binance or others and buying some cryptocurrencies and keeping it there or maybe even speculating a little bit, you are not in crypto. You won't get any learning. You won't learn anything about crypto. Precisely, you will learn very little because you're using centralized services. Your digital assets are in somebody else's pocket. Even if they call it like your online wallet, you don't have private keys. If you don't have private keys, you have no control. Let's say that you buy one Bitcoin on Coinbase and then you keep it there. This is fine. This is exactly like leaving your money in a bank. So if Bitcoin at a certain point, if, sorry, if Coinbase at a certain point decides that that Bitcoin is not yours, that Bitcoin is not yours. And the saying goes, not your keys, not your coins. So if you haven't been exposed to a set of private keys, the set, the, 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 the 12 words, right? If nobody has given them to you, you do not own that Bitcoin. You have an agreement with a company which tells you you own that Bitcoin. But if that agreement for any reason uh, is not uh, honored, you lose it. Now, am I saying it is safer to keep your Bitcoin in your wallet rather than Coinbase? No, I'm not talking about safety. Actually, for many people, it is today safer to keep money on an exchange because people are a bit sloppy with you know, private keys, maybe they don't back them up well, maybe they, um, instead of writing them on paper, they take a screenshot and save it on Google Drive. Oh, no, if you do that, keep them on an exchange, right? So what I'm saying is not about how safe it is. It is that you own stuff or you do not own stuff. You control your own money or not. You have sovereignty on it or not. Now, this may seem like a not such an important aspect, but it is, and it's going to be more and more in the future. What I want to say today is that if you want to learn, because this is a learning journey, we're doing together. If you want to learn, you can't just stay in Coinbase or Binance or other exchanges. You need to get out of there into the wild. It is more dangerous, more complicated. It is uh, exactly like leaving the east coast of the United States in the 19th century and going west. That's where opportunity lies. That's where danger lies. That's where the Indians are waiting for you. Or actually not waiting for you, but like where they are going to attack you if you move too much in that direction. So we are going west and Luckily, we are not going to displace any population. There's basically nobody there. We are building a new land. And uh, you actually need to get out of the exchanges, move onto a wallet and start interacting with your wallet to understand what I'm talking about, what the opportunities are, and then come up with opportunities on your own. You know, if you are getting in a field 
which later on will be some Californian town, and there's nothing there, everything has to be built. Everything is still to be built. And when you get there, you understand. You won't understand this from a skyscraper in New York. Okay, there were no skyscrapers at the time, but you won't understand it from the safety of a fort on the East Coast. You need to go west. And that's the journey we are taking together. We are going west. We are going somewhere where things are complicated. You have to learn them. You have to learn to take care of yourself. And to go on with this analogy, uh, decentralization means there's no sheriff. If you lose your private keys, your money is lost. There's no number you can call. There's no customer service for Bitcoin. Your money is gone. Spider-Man, more power, more responsibility. So it's a trade-off. It's your choice to do it or not. But remember, once you leave the safety of centralized institutions, you are on your own. And then later in the years, we will build better ways to manage this stuff. Today is still a bit risky. And the risk depends on how much you put onto it. So never put more than you can lose. This is valid for speculating in crypto, but it's also valid for playing with crypto, with doing things with crypto. Whatever you do, try not to have too much money into it because you will lose it. You will make mistakes and you will lose money. This is normally balanced by the fact that you will make money, you will earn money, you will get airdrop tokens. So money is easy come, easy go in crypto. So there's no sheriff in the central land. Laws are not yet, haven't catched up. So if something happens, often you, you are on your own. So understand this. It's, it's a journey of discovery. It's still comfortable. I mean, compared to people who actually had to leave and go west, uh, we do it from the comfort of our smartphone and our computer. As long as you don't put too much money into it, it's going to be okay. Right? Even if you lose it, everything, you can sometimes upscribe this to a cost for learning. Right? We, we are used to pay for uh, high-level education. Uh, even if you lose money by doing that, and if you learn something, that's one of the best investments probably you, you can do. Not the same if you buy crypto on, on an exchange and then you start speculating and you lose it. You probably won't learn much and you lose all your money. Again, Start very small and increase your risk as you go, as you feel comfortable, knowing that you will lose money anyway. It's really easy to get into some kind of trap and lose your money. So take it slow, make it a learning journey. Don't make it a get rich quick journey. You won't get rich quick. You're probably going to get poor quicker if you do that. That's the um, decentralization concept. We are on your own. We are on our own. We have control. We are adults. We are not children. We are sovereign. We are not serfs. Things are harder, more dangerous, but the opportunities are enormous. If you go the right way, it's it's a good bet. It's a great bet. It's actually the best bet you can you can take. But if you go on it like unwillingly, because that's where things are going, but I was really comfortable before. I really hate this stuff. Well, let's try it. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're gonna hate it a lot. You're gonna lose money. Just do it if you feel 
that you like going there, you like the frontier, and you want to get ready for, for what's going to come. All right, so I hope this was useful. I hope I was able to convey the basic uh, dynamics of decentralization. Um, let me suggest you now to go on your browser and download a wallet. Try metamask.io, M-E-T-A-M-A-S-K dot I-O and install a wallet in your, in your browser. Do not look for stuff on Google. Don't write MetaMask in Google. Never look for anything in Google. There's full of even advertisements which are uh, scams. So always go straight to the right address. You're going to install a plugin or add-on in your browser. You're going to create, um, you're going to get some seed words, so your private key. You're going to get some public address, and then maybe you can stop there. There's no money there. And then maybe in, in you can kind of go online and try to understand how to move forward to get some test money or real money, whatever. But start by creating a wallet on your computer if you can or on your smartphone. But on your computer is better because today Web3 is still uh, computer-based. For now, we haven't really gone into smartphones too much. And then, yeah, you, you're going to have, you, you will have done your first important step. You downloaded a wallet and you put safely your seed words away and then you're ready, ready for the next uh, step. That ends our second episode. Again, I hope that was useful. Let me know if there's something which was not clear and I'll see you in the next one.